I'm not on. There I'm on. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, well, I'm excited. I'm really excited today. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I am one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful you're here today. If I didn't get a chance to meet you before the service, please come find me after the service. I would love to meet you. Um, we're starting a new series today. You may know what it's called. Ambassadors. And I'm super pumped about it. I am super pumped. I can't wait to preach. You guys are in trouble today. I, I am fired up to preach today. But even though I'm fired up to preach, even though I'm ready to go, even though I've been studying this all week and I just couldn't wait to be up here, like I found myself just in my heart and my mind distracted this morning. Just all the things that are happening in my life and all the things that are happening in a church and things that are happening in my family. Think, like, but is that not life? We come in here on Sunday morning and we want to hear from God. We, we want our hearts to be ready for God. But, but so often all of the other things that are going on in our life um, are important and we want God to speak into those things, but it's hard for us to hear. So here's what I'm going to do. Maybe some of you are in the same place I am today. Even though I'm even excited to be here, I just find myself trying to, trying to stay locked in this morning on Jesus and on what he has for us. And so I'm going to pray for me. So when I'm preaching, I stay locked in. But I'm going to pray for you guys too. I'm going to pray for us so that we might be able to hear what God has for us because I think it's, a, it's big. What God has for us today. So let me pray really quickly. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are here today because we love you and we want to worship you. We believe in what you've done for us. We believe in what you continue to do for us. Yet this world just tries to swallow it up. Our cares and our worries and our jobs and our marriages and our relationships. And God, it could just go on and on and on with the worldly concerns, not even necessarily sinful concerns, but worldly concerns that consume us. So God, I pray that you would just help us today. Help us today to hear Help us today to see. God, help us today to focus on you and to hear what you would have for us through your word so that you might change us and grow us and make us more like your son. Because God, with, without you, we just are going to get drowned out in our culture and in this world. But through you, we have everything that we need. So be what we need today, God, because that's what you do. And we thank you and we love you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So if you've been here, oh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If, if you're kind of new to the Bible, that's about 80% of the way through your Bible. Towards the backs. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll eventually start in, in verse 14. And so, um, if, if you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, you know that we are not a church that likes to sit behind these walls and just watch the world go by, Right? Like from the very beginning, when we started this church, we built this church on and we've always been a church that knows that God has called us to take the gospel out into a broken and hurting world. That's why like our mission statement is glorify God, like everything we do is for the glory of God, glorify God and advance the gospel. We are not a church that wants you to come to church, to attend a church, but, but what? Be the church. Honestly, it's what brought so many of you to Freshwater in the first place, and it's what kept you here, because you saw us genuinely trying to be the church, not just go to church, not to treat church like a country club where we go in to see what we can get out of it so we can feel good and then go home, right? That's just not who we are. We want to be the church. But for many of us, there, there's not been a time in our lifetimes when engaging in the mission that God has so clearly given to us has been more difficult for us personally. What's difficult at that, at that is, like, even though it's been more difficult for us personally, maybe the hardest time in our lives to engage in this way personally, at the same time, the world has never needed the engagement of the church more than it does right now. See how dangerous that is? 
See how tough that is? So I'm just going to start the series off boldly. I'm just going to say it boldly. Um, it's time for that to end. It's just time for that to end. Time, it's time for our apathy and, uh, and our, like, uh, the feelings of our isolation and our, kind of sometimes our self-isolation just to move on that it's time to move forward and not be stuck in this any longer. And I've been seeing it move forward in the last three or four weeks. I've had other people say, man, things are starting to feel different the last three or four weeks. God is moving. He wants to pull us out of this, whatever this apathy, fog, whatever it is to move forward. And that's what the series is really about. The series is going to last five weeks. And then we're going to have Labor Day, and then we're going to start the book of John, the Gospel of John. I cannot wait for the Gospel of John. What an amazing book that is. But I feel like this series is going to prepare our hearts to hear who Jesus really is and the mission he's called us to. So that, that's what this series is about, about all of us being reminded, truly reminding about what God has done, who we are, and frankly, just the amazing things that God has called us to. We've gotten, we've gotten this pattern in the last year and a half, I think, for a lot of us, where we know the things that we need to do, but we're not doing them, but we want to do them, but we're not doing them. So there's like this, this guilt even for our apathy, this guilt. Like this is not, man, you should go out and do this thing. It's God has called you to amazing things, to involve you in amazing things in his work. And there's nothing better than that. So he's calling you into it. I'm calling you into it through his word because that's who we're meant to be. And if you've been here for longer than a year and a half or two, Right? Especially those who have been here longer than a year and a half or two, you know I'm right. Because you've experienced it. You've experienced being more than attending church, but being the church. You've experienced going into the community and sharing love with people and seeing the work and see the way it changes people's hearts and their view of the church and their view of Jesus. You've been a part of that work. You know what it feels like to be on mission for God. It's not the thing that we're supposed to do. It's the thing that God is inviting us into because he loves us. And you know it. And it's time for us to get back to it. To see it for what it is. To, to know that it's okay. It's okay we are where we are. It's just not, not going to be okay to stay there anymore. Because we've got to move forward. It's, it's just too important. It's time to embrace the fact that we are ambassadors of Christ and everything that means. So over this series, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about what it means to be an ambassador of Christ to the poor, to the needy, to the lost, to our community, and listen, to the nations. We're going to get to all of those things. God has called us to go, but before we get there, we have really got to get the first part right, and the first part is what this means right here in our hearts and our souls, and what it means right here in our church, because if we don't get it right here, and we don't get it right here, we're going to be so much less effective when we go out there. And either way, we're called to go. But we've got to be healthy here if we're going to be, do the thing that God has called us to do out there. So that's where we're starting this week. We are not starting this week with what you're supposed to do as much as who you are and what the church is supposed to be. So then we can go. And we can be ambassadors for Christ. So this week, we're going to build the foundation. And the whole foundation of this series is going to be built on 2 Corinthians 5. So considering this, this passage today is going to kind of be the bedrock of the rest of this series, I want to give you a little context for 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you don't know, 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half the books in the New Testament, God's apostle to the Gentiles. And this is a church he started in Corinth, right? And so he, this is the second, really the third letter he, he wrote to them. So let me give you a little context. There was 1 Corinthians, which is in the Bible. 
And then there was a second letter Paul wrote to this church. He's writing to encourage them. We don't know what that second letter said. It's been lost to time. But we know it existed because Paul references it in 2 Corinthians. Right? And so he's been writing these letters to this church that he started, that he loves, that he's not been able to go back to yet, but he cares for. And um, here's the reason why. He has seen God do amazing things in the Corinth church and around the Corinth church throughout the reason, throughout the region. But even though amazing things have happened, sin and power struggles and false teaching has come in and come come has come into the church and wreaked some havoc on it. Has made the church less healthy than it could be than it should be. In short, this church was having a hard time staying healthy. It's why sometimes you'll hear me say, hey, if you're looking to go to church to find the perfect church surrounded by perfect people, you're going to look for a long time because this is the very beginning. This is the very beginning and the church was struggling to stay healthy. And it's not a mistake of God. God did not intend, as you've heard me say before, God did not intend the church to be a museum of saints that come in and pretend like everything's perfect, but a hospital for sinners, a hospital for sinful people. When you come into a church and things aren't as healthy as they should be and people don't react like they should and people respond like spiritually immature or like like a sinful person, do you know why? Because they are and so are you. And when we come in and we engage in that, instead of running from it or complaining about it, when we engage in that, it teaches us grace. It teaches us mercy. It teaches us forgiveness. It teaches us patience. It teaches us kindness. It teaches us all the things that God is for us. If everything was perfect, we wouldn't really learn what Jesus Christ did for us, what the gospel has done for us. There's no such thing as a perfectly healthy church, and it's been like that from the very beginning. And Corinth, man, let's just be honest. The church in Corinth was a mess. In messy churches, it was a mess. And so listen to what's actually been happening. The context of 2 Corinthians, what we get from the book, is false teachers have come in. And they've tried to discredit Paul as an apostle. And do you know how they're trying to discredit Paul as an apostle? Well, at least one of the ways. That he suffered too much to be an apostle of God. Church, this is why teaching that tries to teach you that God just wants you to be happy and healthy, and if you're suffering somehow you're not praying hard enough, is not just a lie, but is from hell. The apostle Paul arguably the greatest church planter that ever lived, the guy that God chose to take the gospel to the rest of the world, suffered so much that people were trying to discredit his ministry. Yet what does Paul say about his suffering? It's all joy because I truly get to know Jesus and it's worth it. He doesn't discount his suffering. He embraces it. This is making me more like my Savior who suffered for me. Bring it on because I want to be more like my Savior. I count it as joy because I have heaven waiting for me on the other side. Oh, it's a beautiful picture of what God has called. He said we won't suffer. He's saying if we do suffer, I am with you and I will use it to grow you. That was the hope of the early church. You know that? When heavy persecution from Rome was coming, it wasn't like, hey, you're not going to suffer anymore. It's that your God loves you in that suffering. He's with you. He sees you. He loves you. He knows you. And there is eternity waiting for you someday. And it will, all of this suffering is going to bring glory someday when you fully understand. Even one of our songs was saying that earlier. I loved it. So that's how they're trying to discredit Paul. So Paul is not only sharing the gospel with them and encouraging them and calling them away from sin and reminding them who Christ is and reminding them of who they, who they are in Christ, 
but he's reminding them of what God has called Paul to so that they might listen to his teaching. Paul wasn't conceited. He just knew exactly what God called him to do. He's like, no, don't listen to their teaching. I am preaching to you the gospel. Listen to what I have to teach you because it's from God. So in chapter 5 specifically, Paul is reminding them what God has done for them, who they are in Christ, but also reminding them of what Christ himself called Paul to do. So with that context, let's pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. 5, 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, because of that, therefore, we, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Do you know what verses 14 and 15 are basically describing? Worship. They're basically describing worship. If you remember a couple weeks ago in Romans 12.1, Romans 12.1 was telling us what worship really is. You remember what Romans 12.1 tells us worship is? Living your lives as a what? Living sacrifice. That's what worship is. Like, that, that's, that's, singing on Sunday morning is not what worship is. It's a part of worship, right? I was just talking about this with TJ and Brandon before the service. They're talking about changing the name of the worship team to some, something else. Why? Because it gives a false idea of what worship is. Singing praises to God, giving those praises to him is absolutely a part of worship, but it's not really, doesn't encompass what worship is. Worship is living your lives for the sake of God's glory and to worship him with every aspect of your life. That's what worship is, and that's what this passage is saying. Because Christ has died for you. Remember, he's talking to church people here. He's talking to church people. He's talking to his church. Because Christ has died for you, because he has given his life for you once and for all, you're no longer, longer simply to live for yourselves, or you're no longer supposed to try to control every aspect of your life, but give it to him who died for you and who was raised. That's worship. That's what we're called to. And then verse 16 starts with, therefore. I just taught this to Keaton the other day, my daughter. If you see, and you've heard me say it before, if you see a therefore in scripture, you've got to see what it's there for. Anybody tired of hearing that? I'm going to keep saying it, right? Because if you start in a verse that you really love, and it says therefore, but you don't know what came before it, then you don't really know. You don't fully know what this is saying. So it's saying, therefore, because Christ died for you, because you're to give your life for him, because you don't control every aspect of your life anymore, but you give your, the control over to Christ, therefore, because that is true, we no longer regard people according to the flesh. What does that mean? You know, Paul uses the example of how he treated Christ or how he viewed Christ. Before God came down and said, Paul, you're mine. This wasn't like a typical salvation experience, right? He came down and said, Paul, you're mine now. Before Jesus did that to Paul, how did Paul treat Jesus? as a false messiah, as a liar, as someone to stop. He persecuted Christians and approved of the killing of Christians. He may even have been there helping kill Christians. And then Jesus came and changed everything, and he finally saw through the Holy Spirit who Jesus really is, through Jesus himself, who he really is. So he doesn't address, he doesn't see him as the flesh anymore, but who he really is. 
In the same way, this is saying, don't regard people in the flesh. Don't look at them the way the world sees them. Don't treat them the way the world would treat them. Meaning we don't look at each other with condemnation. Meaning we don't judge each other for our pasts. We don't look down on each other because of our failures. You know what the flip side of that is? We don't show favor and honor to people simply because of their influence or their power or their control or what they can offer to us or how much money they have or how they can somehow benefit you or how they make you feel. That's how the world does it, church. Again, this is primarily pointing to Christians, to those who have been saved in Jesus, because people who are not been saved in Jesus are of the flesh. But he's talking about how do we treat people of the Spirit? So how are we to view others? In verse 17, Paul tells us, really God tells us through Paul. Verse 17. What's that word again? Therefore, Therefore, because Christ has died for us, because we are to give our lives in worship of him, because he, we no longer view people in the flesh because of who Christ is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Man, I love that verse. So, if we don't regard people as the world does, how do we regard them? As a new creation. As if their old self has died and they have become something completely new in Christ. Why? Because that's exactly what has happened. That's exactly what has happened. This is how we're to regard each other. This is how we're to see each other. This is how we're to view each other. This is how we're to treat each other as if we are a new creation in Christ. But here's the thing. We'll get to what that really means, but here's the thing. But before we can truly regard others in this way, like as people of the Spirit, not people of the flesh, before we can treat them as new people, this has first got to be true for you. Do you realize that that's got to be true for you? So my question is, do you truly, do you see yourself, do you allow yourself to be defined by this amazing truth that God has made you new? If you're, if you're a believer in here, that God has made you a new creation, the old is gone. The new has come. Is that true for you? Does that define who you are? And I think it's easy for us to say, like logically, we believe the Bible, Yes. But our minds and our hearts are tricky things, aren't they? They're tricky things. You know, the Cleveland Clinic did a study. And according to this study, it's by the Cleveland Clinic, they're respected, right? But it's a study. According to them, the average person has 60,000 thoughts per day. Now, how do you even come up with that number? Did did somebody really, like, put 60,000 marks? I don't don't know. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they came up with it. It seems insane to me, but that's what they said. The average person, 60,000 thoughts per day, 95% of those were on repeat. Meaning, 95% of the things that we think every single day aren't really new thoughts. They're just the same thing cycling in our head over and over and over every day. They might change a little bit. They might come across a little different, but they're really, in the end, the same thoughts. Of those 95% of thoughts that are on repeat in your mind every day, how many do you think were negative? 80%. 80% of things on repeat in your brain 
are negative. And that's on average. For some of you, it's much higher. For some of you, it's much higher. So I'm guessing for most of us, it is really hard for us to hold on to this truth for ourselves. It's really hard to believe it on a day-to-day basis. Maybe the hardest part of embracing the truth that this is communicating and it changing our lives is that we have on repeat our failures, our anxieties, our insecurities, our sins, our lack, whatever that is, where we're just not enough or we don't feel like enough, the, our hardships, our past, our struggles. What, can we just keep going? All the negative things that are on repeat in your brain all the time. So we become slaves. We become slaves to these thoughts. We, can, we, we, we become slaves to the negativity. We become slaves to the way we view ourselves. Believer, listen to me. Like, try to put away all of those negative thoughts and just hear me for a second. The old you has died. The old you has died. The old you that is enslaved to your past, to your anxieties, to your sins, to your fears, to your insecurities. That person died with Christ. That's how it describes in Romans 6. You died with him. And then you have been raised with him as something new. By his resurrection power, as Jesus raised from the dead, you are raised as something new. And here's the truth. Your accuser, your enemy, Satan, your accuser is going to try to accuse you. And your sin might try to condemn you. And your own mind might try to derail you. But the single greatest truth about you is that you are a new creation in Christ. Set free by his blood on the cross. It is who you are. Listen, I know you've heard me say it. And I know that most of you even believe it. But do you walk in it? As Jesus said to the religious leader, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have been born again. The power in you to be who you're meant to be is already there. It's already been accomplished. Oh, church, what would happen if we truly believed it? What would happen if we truly walked in it? If you didn't look at all the negative things about yourself and just thought of yourself in a negative way instead of the unbelievably positive way that God looks at you. And I'm not talking about the positive of the power of positive thinking. I'm saying God looks at you as a child, as something new, as something he loves, as adores, that he's made holy, righteous, and blameless before him. That is positive. Oh, it's so positive. You are a child of God. What if you can embrace what, not only what God could do in you, and I think that's what a lot of you think about, like what I could be, but embrace what God has already done in you. Christ has already accomplished what you need. I think we talked about this in Life Group this week. Listen, do you you think of it this way? You operate in victory from victory. Christ has already accomplished victory for you on the cross. He's already accomplished victory over sin. He's already accomplished victory over your sin, your fears, your anxieties, your worries, whatever it is. It's already been done. You just have to believe it and walk in it and know that it's true. And God will give you everything you need to move past those things, through those things, beyond those things through sanctification. Sanctification isn't making you a better person. It's making you more like Jesus Christ so you can walk out of these things into freedom. Is it true? Because church, until you can accept that for yourself, you're always going to feel a little bit handicapped when trying to regard others in the way that Christ has called you to. 
you're always going to feel a little bit handicapped in the mission that God has called you to and said, if you don't believe it for yourself. I know you're not perfect. And listen, yes, your sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. Scripture sometimes describes the thing that we should feel because of our sin as godly grief. Not condemnation, but godly grief. But that grief should drive you to the cross to remember you've been forgiven so that you can move forward remembering that you already have victory over these things. You are not a slave. You have freedom. So where do you need to embrace this truth for yourself? It's completely off. And the batteries were good beforehand. I don't know why. So we'll just keep going. I don't know how I'm going to keep this mic in front of my face. You know, I like to flail. But can we go back to that, sec- that question for a second? Where do you need to embrace that truth for yourself? Because here's what I'm afraid. I'm afraid you're going to hear that question. Oh, here goes JT again. He's calling us to something. and He's on fire. And I am. I'm on fire. Because I need to hear this. And I know you need to hear it. What I'm afraid is you're just going to hear that question and be like, yeah, that's good. And then nothing's going to change. And you're not going to believe who you are. You're not going to really believe what Christ has done. And you're not going to be able to move forward because you're still going to believe the lies about who you were or who, who you feel like you're enslaved to. Or that you're going to believe that you're, you are a person that just worries or you are just an angry person or you are just a lustful person or you are just this thing, which you aren't. You're a new creation in Christ. You're a child of God. That's who you are. The old has passed away. The new has come. Where do you need to embrace this for yourself? Then, then, what would it look like to not regard others, particularly those in the church, according to the flesh, according to the way the world does, but view them as a new creation in Christ, as a reborn child of God? So I'm going to ask you some tough questions, questions I needed to think through this week, questions I know most of us, all of us, most of us need to think through this week. I want you to actually think about them. And this is not condemnation. This is not guilt. This is, we need to be set free from these things because God, God loves us. He loves us more than let us stay in these things. How often do you focus on people's faults when you think of them? How often are you thinking about their sins? or their shortcomings, or their failures, or the places that you disagree with them, or the places where they are not spiritually mature enough. And listen, they may not be spiritually mature enough. I'm not saying that, but you're, you're, you're focused in on those things. How often are those things circling in your mind on repeat about those around you? Can we be honest? This is about us seeing who we are in Christ and God calling us to more than that, right? This is not about condemnation. This is about, man, we got to see it and we got to move forward. Can, can you see it for yourself? Maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe on the flip side, how often do you show favor to those who are successful or charismatic or powerful or influential 
not their character, but all of those things, because they maybe because what they can give to you or how they make you feel or because you want to be like them, even though they're chasing the world and not Christ. And so your heart's call like, I want to be like that person. I want that thing. I want that money, that power, that influence, that control. Like, let me be more like that person, even though they, you don't even know if they even love Jesus because they wrote a good book or they can give a good, somebody said before the service, a good TED talk. Nothing wrong with those things, but does our heart long to have what they have, and it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. That's how the world sees things, isn't it? What if we truly saw people as Christ does? If we saw people as new believers raised by Christ, in Christ, and fellow members of the household of God? How might that change things? You know, another book that Paul wrote, he wrote the book of Ephesians to the, another church he started in Ephesus. And he says a lot of the same things because Paul always said the same things because we need to hear them again and again and again and again and again. And in Ephesians 4, he says something very similar. He says in Ephesians 4, 24, he says that we are to put on the new self. So he's talking about the same thing, that we have been made new. But not only have we been made new, but we need to put on that newness. We need to put on that new life, Right? To live in the truth. Not just know the truth, but to live in that truth. And so really, the rest of chapter 24 in Ephesians, he's kind of laying out what that looks like. And here's one of, the, one of the first things he says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. None. Just corrupting talk. Things that corrupt, that tear down, that, that don't build up. Because you know what the flip side he said of that? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only only. Here's the thing. It's important, right? Only things that build up. Only things that build up. He goes on to say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, slander, gossip be put away from you. He says, not, not even to be named among you. Instead, this is how we put on the new self. Be kind be tender-hearted. Can I ask you, how many Christians do you think nowadays value tender-heartedness? Does it sound like weakness? Because I guarantee in Roman society, where humility was not valued at all, it absolutely sounded like weakness. But how much are we like the Romans? Be kind. Be tender-hearted and forgive. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us. Oh, church, we live in such a cynical and critical time, don't we? So cynical, so critical, so much attacking, so much gossip, so much complaining, so much that reflects the world and not the church, not the spirit. The truth is sometimes things need to be addressed, don't they? This is not saying we don't address things with people. Absolutely things need to be addressed. Sometimes critical feedback is good and necessary and right and will help build up the church, right? Critical feedback can be a very, very valuable, valuable thing. Absolutely addressing sin. Absolutely we should. We should be engaged in that. Absolutely. But what if instead of complaining to others about others... What if instead of gossiping, because listen, if you're talking about someone behind their back, you know what that's called? Gossip. It's gossip. 
What instead of complaining about others? What if instead of gossiping about others, we saw them as newly created children of God? As members of our household, as family members, that God has called us to encourage, to build up, to help grow. And what if we, when we went to talk through things, because hey, listen, right? Sometimes things need to be talked about. Sometimes things need to be worked through. Sometimes things need to be addressed. What if we, when we did that, we talked to them in love, in kindness, with understanding, trying to understand, in compassion, with a tender heart, with a goal of growth in Christ. And not only their growth, but our growth. What if we literally went to those conversations thinking, man, I think this is something I need to address with them and talk through with them, but I'm going to listen to them first. And I'm going to hear them because I bet there's a place where I could grow too. I bet there's a place where I can learn too. And we went looking how we can build each other up. I'm not even talking about just our church, but does that feel like the, the way that the church is operating now? On, on the horror show that is social media among Christians? John 13, 34 through 35. That's when we got that one. I think I gave you that one. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Man, I hope that's not a surprise to anyone. Like the greatest commandment, right? To love one another. But like, listen to the rest of it. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. This is so, this is so huge. By this, all people will know. We're not just supposed to love people. We are. It's the greatest commandment. But by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What if this, this is what Freshwater was known for? And in some ways, I think it's true. I think in some ways we are known for this. But what if this, what, this was the thing that Freshwater was known for? Not that we did good things in the community, not that we had good social justice, not that we loved Williams Elementary, and praise God for all of those things. But in those things, this is what we know, that we're known for. Man, those people, you see the way those people love each other. This is not talking about outside the church primarily. Do you see the way they love and take care of each other? They must know Jesus Christ. There must be something different about them. I know there was someone that came to our church that had no church background at all. I'm not going to say their name because I didn't ask. But when they were going through something difficult and when they had a child, there was people coming around them and that, like, like she said that like we're doing nice things for us and I genuinely felt like they loved me and I didn't even know them that well and they genuinely felt like they loved me and it was weird. Like no one does that. But over time she, she found out like, oh, these people do genuinely care. They genuinely love me. I mean, she couldn't get away from Jesus Christ after all of that, right? What if that was like, that's who we were. People couldn't get away from Jesus Christ because they saw the way that we loved each other and how that love here spilled out, out there. If we want to change the world around us for the sake of God's glory, it starts right here. And it starts right here. So the first big question of today is where do you think you need to see yourself and to see others the way that Christ does and respond accordingly? Where do you need to see yourself and others the way that Christ does and respond accordingly? This is a big deal in Scripture. 
It's repeated so many times over and over because we are a hospital for sinners. So unity and peace and upbuilding and growth and harmony is always going to be difficult. It's always going to be something we have to fight for. As I say all the time, it's not the easy path. Oh, but it's the good one. But as we said at the beginning, God has called us to so much more than just living this out in our church, in our own lives, in our own church. That's just the first part. Let's look at the second. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, there it is again, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal, his appeal to the world through who? Us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Do you know what reconciled means? I think we got the definition. Reconciled. This is what it means. To restore friendly relationship or to exist in harmony. Another way of saying that, especially scripturally, is to have peace. Peace with God, specifically. Because when Christ died on that cross, he satisfied all of God's judgment for sin, all of God's wrath for sin, so that it would be made, be made possible even for God's worst enemies, the ones that had, fallen the wor- had done the worst things, had fallen away in the, the worst kind of ways. Even people who tried to kill Christians like Paul could be saved, could be reconciled. And not only that, like to have peace with God. To have peace with God. To be saved for their relationship to be fully and completely reconciled with him. So what's happened right here is Paul is telling the Corinthians that this this message that he's giving them came specifically from God, gave to him to share with them, to share with the Gentiles, right? That this is his mission, to be a minister of reconciliation, to be an ambassador for Christ. But, But if you thought it was just for Paul, the New Testament makes it very clear that this is our mission also, doesn't it? In places like Acts 1-7, Matthew 28, we could go on and on. This is the exact same mission that God has given to every single one of us, to be ministers of reconciliation and ambassadors for Christ. Do you know what minister means in the original Greek language? It means to be a servant. That's what it means. Servant or to contribute. It means to be a servant or to contribute. God is telling us, the way that we can contribute to his kingdom, the way that we, that we can be used to glorify him and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way that we, can, that, that way that we can serve him in response to Christ's reconciling work on the cross on our behalf is to take this, this message of reconciliation and, and make it true among us that we are reconciled people in Jesus Christ, that we reconcile with each other and then we take that message of reconciliation outside of these walls and share it with a lost, broken, hurting world that, world that desperately needs it. That desperately needs it. Listen, I want you to think about it this way, not as something that we have to do, which we, we are commanded to do these things, but look at it as an amazing privilege. This is an amazing privilege that God has given to us. 
What an astonishing thing God is entrusting to you and to me. It's just amazing what he's entrusting to us. But it's more than that. We aren't just ministers of reconciliation. What else did it say we are? We're ministers of reconciliation and what else? Ambassadors for Christ. And we finally get to the title of the series, right? If we dwell on that for more than just a second, it it should begin to kind of blow our minds. Because you know what an ambassador is? It's an authorized representative or messenger of someone or something. An authorized representative or messenger. God has appointed you and God has appointed me to represent him. In Christ, through the Holy Spirit, yes, but to represent him, to represent Christ, to represent him on earth as his messengers. And think about this. He didn't, he's not, He's not asking angels to do this or prophets like in the Old Testament because Jesus is the fulfillment of being a prophet. He's not, he's not asking miracle workers to do this. He's not asking the most gifted people or even the most gifted pastors in the world to do this. He's asking you. He's telling you. God is making his appeal to the world. His call for people to be saved and reconciled through us. He's entrusting that to us. Have you thought? We are Christ's mouthpiece. We are Christ's hands and feet. We are his feet taking the gospel into the world. That's what the church might be so that, we, so that people might know him. He's entrusted that to us. And, I, and I, church, I know it doesn't always get reflected well in the church. I know the church doesn't always love and take the ministry of reconciliation and treat people like a new creation in Christ or what they could be in Christ. But shouldn't it? Shouldn't this be who we are? I know it's not what the church currently is, but what a privilege. I don't mean our church, but I mean the church as a whole. It doesn't always feel like this is what the church is, but what a privilege, what a responsibility, what trust God has placed in us. And in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've already been given what you need to walk in this. This is not something that you have to create in yourself or you have to grow into. Yeah, you need to know the word of God. Yeah, you need to be serious about these things. But like, God has already given you what you need to go and tell people about who he is. You just tell them what you know. And when you don't know, you say, I don't know. That's a good question. And then you go find out and you grow and you go back to the other person and you get to share the gospel with them again. You already have everything you need to be this because he's already done the work. He is calling us to share the best news that has ever existed or will ever exist the best thing thou ever will be. The gospel. And I don't know if there's any verse in the Bible that so succinctly sums up what that is and what we need to communicate than 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look at our last verse for today. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Almost, almost no other verse in the Bible has had a bigger effect on me than this one. For our sake. This is for us, right? But it's also, listen, for your sake. 
for my sake, Christ became sin. Listen, it doesn't say that he took on sin. It doesn't say he paid the penalty of sin, which he did those things. It says he became sin. Jesus, our perfect Savior, deserving nothing but glory, our holy Lord, our God, became the thing that with everything in him and everything that he is about is absolutely against. Everything he hates, he became for you and for me. Why? So that by believing in him, he could wash truly, wash away all of our sin, wash away all of its tainting darkness and slavery and all the consequences so that we, you and me, could become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. So not only would we be the forgiven, holy, blameless children of God, but so that the world might see how good, how holy, how righteous God is through us. This is who you are in Christ church. This is who you are. And this is the message that the world so desperately needs. No matter what you have done, no matter how far you have fallen, no matter how dark your thoughts, now how ugly your past, by grace in Christ, he takes those things, they die with him, and he makes them new. That's who we are. So that sinners might die and might be born again as something new. Do you know how the, the scripture describes those people? Sinners might die and so that saints might be born. Do you even think of yourself as a saint? That's how the word describes you, as a saint. In Christ, that is who you are. And if we can believe that for ourselves, if we can believe that for others, if we can believe that for each other, then when we leave these walls to share that message, when we leave these walls as ambassadors of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit in us, there is no end to what God can accomplish in us and through us for the advancement of the gospel and the glory of him. Because in the end, there's no pressure on you in the end, not in the way that you feel, that you think, because Christ has already done the work. He's already accomplished the victory. He's just asking you, recognize who you are. Recognize that your, your family around you, and then together, you go. I am with you. It is done. It is by my power, my Holy Spirit, that a people are saved. You just remember who you are, who I am, and you go. Because you are ministers of reconciliation. You are ambassadors of Christ. Whether you've been a believer for a week or for 40 years, you go and I'm with you. This is just true, church. This is just true. We don't walk in it like it's true. Like, be encouraged. This is who God has made you. This is what God has done. Man, we walk in condemnation for not being good enough, not being what we're supposed to be. He's saying, put on the new self so that you can move forward, so that you can move forward in who you already are. So I'm going to close with this. I got three questions for you today. We're going to close with this. Three questions. The first one, you've already heard it. Where do you need to believe for yourself that you are a new creation in Christ? Will you actually think about it? 
Where do you need to believe? Not, not just know, but believe that you are a new creation in Christ. To not look, at your, not look at yourself in the way that the world does. And not look at yourself comparing the way the rest of the world looks. And not looking at yourself the way sometimes your mind does. But as Christ does. As Christ does. A new creation walking in victory over sin. Because of who Christ has already made you. What negative thoughts... What negative patterns do you need to call them for what they are? Lies or sin. And then confess those things and then just fully embrace who you are. That's one. Second question. Where do you need to stop regarding others, particularly in the family of God, as the world does, and start seeing them as Christ does? Where do you need to take cynicism or a critical heart or, biz- or bitterness or gossip or complaining or grumbling or whatever else it is, unforgiveness, whatever else, it, whatever it might be, the, all, the things that all of us struggle with at times, wh- where do you need to take those things to the cross and repent of those things, confess those things to God and ask, ask Christ to help you be made new so that you might treat people as if they are new? Not treat them as the world does, but as Christ sees them. Where do you need to ask God to help you be a person of humility and patience and grace and understanding and compassion, a person of tender, a person tender-hearted, a person of love, that a person that even when correcting, you're correcting to build up, to grow, and purely out of love for the other person. Hear me. Don't, I'm not going to pretend like this is easy. We don't have to pretend. This is hard. Because sometimes people are really difficult, aren't they? So are you. And so am I. But I need God's grace and understanding and love. And so do you. And so do they. I'm not calling you to easy. Scripture's not calling us to easy. This is build. Like, we all know this is better. Be a person that helps build up even in your critical feedback, even in addressing sin, build up in love. Where do you need to see others, not in the flesh, not as the world does, but as Christ does and respond accordingly? That's two. And then three. Three. Where do you think right now, not some future version of you, not a better version of you because that does not exist, right? Where do you right now think God might be calling you to be a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador of Christ to a lost, broken, and hurting world? And hear me, not doing that out of guilt, not doing it simply because you're supposed to, but because of the joy of knowing Christ, right? Because of the joy of knowing Christ, out of a joy of knowing what God has done for me, the amazing things God has done for me, and he continues to do for me. And so I want to go tell other people about that because they can have that too. They can know that too. They can experience who God really is too, and they can move forward, and they can have hope, and they can have joy, and they can be ambassadors for Christ. That's what we're called to, church. Not, oh, I've got to do this thing. No, the joy of knowing the Lord and that other people might be able to know him. Where do you in your life need to do this right now? Make this a thing in your life right now.
because as a church, we want to provide you ways to be ambassadors for Christ in Williams Elementary and in John B. Hughes and in Tom Watkins' neighborhood. And listen, around the world, we're, we're getting, we're ramping up on missions for around the world. Yes and amen. But listen, this is not about church providing an opportunity for you. It starts in your circles right now. If it doesn't happen in your circles, you're never going to truly be effective in Tom Watkins or in the Middle East. So where is God calling you to be a minister of reconciliation at your workplace, with your family, with your friends, and the places that you go right now? It's time to burn away the apathy. It's time to burn away the solitude. And listen, I love you. Me too. It's time to burn away the selfishness and always thinking about ourselves and what we need and how we feel and to start realizing who we are, who God has called us to be to other people and then go be ministers of reconciliation. So the third question is, where do you need to go right now in your life to be a minister of reconciliation and an ambassador for Christ? Right now. Man, get together in life groups this week. And if you're, you're not meeting in your life group this week because of the elder dinner, find a time to get together with someone in your life group or some of your disciple and talk about these three questions with someone else this week. Because you, we've proven we can't do this thing alone. I, isolation is terrible for our spirits, for our emotional health, for our physical health, for everything. It's terrible. Go engage. Go find someone. Talk with them. Go find the person that you're even, maybe you've been struggling with and you don't know how to reconcile this thing. Go with an open heart of love and encouragement to build up and even address those things and talk through those things. Go be ready to learn and to grow with them. Go engage and talk through these three questions. Where do you need this for yourself? Where do you need to send this to others? And where can you be an ambassador for Christ? We'll get to the needy and the poor and the lost and the broken and our community and the world the rest of this series. But it starts here. Church, you are the reconciled, righteous ministers of reconciliation and ambassadors for Christ. I'm praying, oh, I'm praying that we could all, all of us could fully embrace what God says is already true so that we can move forward together in this in the coming weeks, months, and in the future wherever God takes Freshwater Church. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, these things in your word are just so clear, like who you are and what you've done and who we are and how we are to treat others because of what you've done for us and the joy of knowing you and what you've called us to do in the mission. But, oh God, we get so wrapped up in this world, so wrapped up in our mind and our thoughts. So God, we just pray for your help because you wouldn't say it in your word so much if you didn't know how hard this was going to be for us. So God, first, help us just to accept who you are and that you are always true. You are always right. Our thoughts and our hearts are going to lie to us, but you never, ever lie to us. So help us, God, not to just know what's true, but believe it. To believe it so that we might walk in it, so we might walk in this newness of life. God, I pray for people in here that feel like they're not enough. They feel like this world has broken them. Their sin has broken them. Their mind has broken them. God, I pray that you would help these truths to give them hope. To grow. 
so they might move forward in knowing you and the joy of knowing you. As, as your servant Paul said, I count it all as joy. Help us to actually know that and believe that because we already have victory in you. God, I know, I know as a pastor, the other pastors, the other deacons, the other leaders, the other members, God, we aren't enough. We aren't enough to take this forward. Oh, but God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you are enough. And so God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in our hearts and our minds to clean, to renew, to refresh, to remember who we are. And that, God, you would grow us. God, I thank you for this church and how it loves in such miraculous ways, but I pray our love would grow so that the world would look at Freshwater Church in particular. Your church is a whole church. God, yes and amen to your whole church, but we, we can't change the entire church, but we can change who we are here. That, that you would change us in a church that when people think about, see, know about Freshwater Church, they'd hear about the way that we love each other. And through that, the way that we love the community. And that they would know that we are your disciples. And through that, know you. God, help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Help us to be ambassadors for the sake of your name. It's an incredibly difficult job, but it's one that is done by your power, so we know we can do it. Help us to believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.